0: The Audible of the best in Bitcoin. This is The Crypto Economy. If you guys have not seen it yet, Gigi just recently dropped an article um, uh, on his Medium page and it's another great one about Uh, around the concept of Bitcoin as a living organism. So, let's go ahead and jump into the read, and then we'll talk a little bit about it afterward. Bitcoin's Habitats. How Bitcoin is Surviving and Thriving Between Worlds. As I have argued previously, Bitcoin is a living organism. But where does this organism live exactly? As with many questions in the world of Bitcoin, exact answers are hard to come by. Living things have fuzzy edges. Beginnings and endings are hard to pinpoint. Differentiation is more or less arbitrary, and what was classified as a wolf today might evolve to be a dog tomorrow. Bitcoin has no rigid specification, no absolute finality, no fixed development team, No final security guarantees, no scheduled updates, no central brain, no central vision, no kings, and no rulers. It is a decentralized organism, organically evolving without central planners. The lack of any centralization is the source of Bitcoin's beauty, its organic behavior, and its resilience. Bitcoin is everywhere and nowhere. Which makes figuring out where this thing lives a daunting task. However, it turns out that there is a space it lives in, multiple spaces, as we shall see. The Habitats of Bitcoin While classifying the habitat of a decentralized organism isn't trivial, we can look at the constituents of Bitcoin to make the task a bit easier. As outlined in the last article of this series, Bitcoin lives across domains with one foot in the purely informational realm, ideas and code, and one foot in the physical realm, people and nodes. An awareness of Bitcoin's environments might help to better understand this new form of life. No organism can be meaningfully studied in isolation, and Bitcoin is no exception. As Alan Watts pointed out, one has to be aware of the basic unity every organism forms with its environment. Quote, for the ecologist, the biologist, and the physicist know, but seldom feel, that every organism constitutes a single field of behavior or process with its environment. There is no way of separating what any given organism is doing from what its environment is doing, for which reason ecologists speak not of organisms in environments, but of organism environments. End quote. Alan Watts. With that in mind, let's take a closer look at the organism environments we are dealing with. As outlined above, Bitcoin's ideas and code inhabit one realm, and Bitcoin's people and nodes inhabit another. To stick with tradition, let's call the physical realm meat space and the purely informational realm cyberspace, even if, as always, the lines might be fuzzy around the edges. The soul of Bitcoin, so to speak, lives in cyberspace. There, Bitcoin absorbs useful ideas and incorporates them into its code. As with all living things, something is useful if it helps an organism to survive. While Bitcoin has various self-regulatory mechanisms to react to the environment, new ideas may be necessary for survival if changes are drastic enough. The, quote, body of Bitcoin, like all bodies, is living in meat space. Nodes, hard drives, cables, and other things come together in an intricate dance, pushing around electrons, changing zeros to ones, and vice versa, making sure that Bitcoin's heart beats about a thousand times a week. Living things have an interest in staying alive, and the Bitcoin organism is no exception. Bitcoin found an ingenious way to ensure that it stays alive. It pays people, as Ralph Merkel pointed out. People, and increasingly organizations, are incentivized to keep it alive. They shape the physical world to Bitcoin's liking, feed it energy, renew its hardware, and update its software to keep it alive. The fact that Bitcoin pays us to keep it alive opens up a third space, a space of financial transactions, value, and mutual beneficial exchange. Let's call this space FinSpace. To understand FinSpace, we will have to examine the other side of this coin. So far, we only examined the side with the uppercase B, the Bitcoin network. But there is also Bitcoin with a lowercase b, which is the unit of value itself, brought into existence by every copy of the ledger. These bitcoins, while deeply embedded in the amber of the ledger, are traded worldwide on various markets and marketplaces. And since these Bitcoins and their value are critical for Bitcoin's survival, we will have to recognize FinSpace as the third space that this strange beast lives in. Note that FinSpace, strangely enough, is solely inhabited by Bitcoin with a lowercase b. In total, we can identify three distinct environments which the Bitcoin organism inhabits. Cyberspace, the world of ideas and code. Meat space the world of people and nodes, and fin space, the world of value and markets, the world of dollars and sats. Understanding these habitats becomes increasingly important, especially as the climate in one, or more, heats up. The climates they are a-changin' The three spaces outlined above, cyberspace, and fin space, and FinSpace have different restrictions, different climates, so to speak. In short, they operate under different rules. Once these rules change drastically enough, people will say that, quote, the political climate is heating up, and reports on the, quote, coming financial climate will be written. Citizens will be unable to speak and act freely. If things change drastically enough, people will rise up in protest, or if all else fails, flee. Cyberspace. While we don't have precise words for it, it is obvious that the climate in cyberspace has changed quite drastically in the last two decades or so. The idealistic, utopian ideas which were the foundation of most of the Internet were perverted by the advertisement-driven surveillance companies which are the giants of today. People and politicians are slowly waking up to the strange reality that we are living in, The fact that Facebook can manipulate moods and sway elections is as disturbing as the fact that Google knows you better than you know yourself. Edward Snowden showed that the most paranoid netizens were right all along. Everyone in cyberspace is under constant surveillance without suspicion, by default. While the Western world does not immediately feel the repercussions that come with living in a constant state of surveillance, Chinese citizens are gathering first-hand experience with each passing day. In the Western world, the consequences are advertisements which range from annoying to spooky. In China, the consequences are frozen bank accounts, an inability to buy train or plane tickets, elimination of creditworthiness, automated fines for trivial offenses, and more. Voicing the wrong opinion, quote-unquote, online or not, can lead to restricted access to schools, hotels, and jobs. And after ruining your life with the flip of a bit, you will be publicly named as a bad citizen, and the government will even take away your dog. If that doesn't sound dystopian enough for your taste, I bet that it will be in a couple of years. Remind yourself that this is only the beginning. In the, quote, free world, things are more subtle. Multiple efforts are underway to curb net neutrality, the very cornerstone of the internet. Legislation is being passed which is inherently incompatible with the laws of cyberspace. It seems like the last battle of the crypto wars is yet to be fought as politicians are calling for responsible encryption and the ban of certain CAD files. Companies are in charge of the speaker's corners of cyberspace, and are making arbitrary decisions on what can be uttered by whom and what is off-limits. Bitcoin knows no borders, no jurisdictions. However, it has to conform to the laws of cyberspace. And if these laws change, or in other words, if large parts of the world block Bitcoin traffic and or the usage of Tor, the Bitcoin organism will have to adapt. Meat Space Meat space climate differs wildly from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Some bastions of freedom still exist, but once you try to board an international flight, it becomes obvious that your right to privacy and your freedom to bring a bottle of water with you are null and void. Protests across the globe indicate that the powerless are fed up with the powerful, who do everything they can to stay in control and solidify their positions of influence. History shows that governments do not shy away from using their power. In 1933, Executive Order 6102 was signed, effectively forcing the whole population of the United States to hand over their gold and gold certificates to the government. Yes, seizing Bitcoin is way harder than seizing gold, in some cases even impossible. But it would surprise me if those who currently control our money, the governments and central banks of this world, would simply roll over and let Bitcoin march on unhindered. Governments have a monopoly on violence, and they are able and willing to abuse this violence in their own interest. With Bitcoin, however, people can flee a country with their wealth intact. While this is definitely not easy, and not something I would wish on anyone, it is now possible. Thin Space Where should I even begin? The current debt-based financial system has an appetite for printing money which is beyond belief. Quantitative easing, negative interest rate policies, currency wars, hyperinflations, and a looming recession are just a few of the recipes of the global instability soup which is currently brewing. The current financial system seems so far removed from common sense and reality that all the jargon in the world won't be able to stabilize this house of cards. People know that our money is broken, which is why they flee to buying real estate, stocks, and all kinds of complicated financial constructs to preserve their wealth. In the current system, you have to be an investment expert just to hold your value. And we haven't even talked about the looming recession and the virtual inevitability of the next financial crisis yet. Yes, governments might be able to kick the can down the road by printing ever more money, But no road is endless, and the experiment which is fiat money will come to an end, one way or another. How Bitcoin will react to a catastrophe in FinSpace is anyone's guess. Some people might flee from their failing fiat currency into Bitcoin, using it as a risk-off asset. Others might sell Bitcoin to buy something they consider more stable, such as real estate or land. A rising number of people will identify Bitcoin as the best money we have ever had, shunning other assets and other monies in the quest to stack as many sats as they can. However it might play out, Bitcoin is the cure for many of the current system's ills. It is hard money which doesn't devalue over time. It is an incorruptible system which forms the basis of a new financial reality. it can't be changed. It can't be argued with. It can't be tampered with. It can't be corrupted. It can't be stopped. It can't even be interrupted. End quote. Ralph Merkel. In addition to the above, it seems to have many indirect effects. It lowers the time preference of those who use it. It incentivizes users to have better personal and operational security. It incentivizes individuals and companies to have better digital hygiene. It propels the development of chip manufacturing and encryption technology. While Bitcoin definitely influences its environments and vice versa, how Bitcoin reacts to drastic changes is yet to be seen. Migration Bitcoin lives on the internet, as Ralph Merkel points out. The internet, however, is not a necessary requirement for Bitcoin to work. Bitcoin is text, pure information and every system capable of transmitting and storing information is a potential habitat for the Bitcoin organism. The Internet just happens to be the most suitable habitat which currently exists, since it is the most efficient system to transmit information we have to date. Cyberspace The Bitcoin organism could migrate to other environments, and multiple efforts are underway which enable Bitcoin to spread to places where access to Internet infrastructure is limited or non-existent. As of this writing, Bitcoin transactions and lightning invoices have been sent via radio waves, mesh, and satellite networks, just to name a few. All of these can be seen as Bitcoin conservation efforts, so to speak. Whether we will see the migration of Bitcoin to another system in the decades and centuries to come depends, in essence, on whether the Internet will remain a suitable habitat or not. If the online climate changes drastically enough, we might see the migration to even more resilient, less restrictive environments. Meat space. We can already see that mining facilities pop up where energy is cheapest or even stranded. In essence, mining is done where it makes the most sense, economically speaking. The same is true for running nodes. If people can run nodes at low risk and near zero marginal cost, they will. Thus, visualizing Bitcoin on a map, nodes and mining facilities migrate geographically from unfriendly places to friendlier places over time. Unprofitable mining facilities will shut down. Profitable mining facilities will go online. The same, again, is true for nodes. Increasingly, people will migrate to jurisdictions which are more favorable to their Bitcoin holdings, And if you want to start a Bitcoin company, you might also move to a jurisdiction which is more favorable to you and your future business. Thin Space In the last 10 years, many people decided to buy Bitcoin, effectively feeding the Bitcoin organism by investing in it. This capital allocation will continue as more people understand the nature of this beast and the ultimate goal of Bitcoin, the separation of money and state. What investors describe as portfolio balancing and allocation of capital can be seen as a migration of value from worse assets to better assets, from bad stores of value to better stores of value. Bitcoin being the ultimate asset in terms of portability, verifiability, divisibility, scarcity, and unseizability, will continue to suck up value and grow in the process. Conclusion Bitcoin lives at the intersection of three spaces. Meat space, cyberspace, and fin space. These spaces have different laws, different rules, and different climates. To fully understand any organism, we must not only look at the organism itself, but examine the organism environment holistically. Because of its decentralized nature, Bitcoin is able to overcome many if not all, obstacles in its environments. It can migrate to favorable jurisdictions in meat space, use different transportation and storage media in cyberspace, and feed on the instability of other asset classes in thin space. Whatever the future may bring, Bitcoin is equipped to survive and thrive in the various environments it lives in. It is remarkably resilient, well-adapted to survive any coming storm however perfect it may be. And we close another great article by Gigi. Uh, let's go ahead and hit our sponsor, and then I want to talk about, uh, talk about the habitats of Bitcoin. So, uh, uh, jumping right into meat space, um, China's social credit system is basically my dystopian nightmare. Um, It is one of the most insane overreaches of power. And, you know, they're communist, so I guess it shouldn't be unexpected. Um, And they would be rushing to utilize the digital world and the technology of the internet to maintain as strict a control on their population as possible. So I guess it shouldn't really be crazy that this actually occurred or that this is in development. Um, and they really intend; they expect actually this year to um, to have everyone, every quote-unquote citizen of uh, China, on their social credit system. And when Gigi made the remark that they will literally take your dog, um, it was actually linked to an article about just how unbelievably like nanny state they are going with this social credit system. And you know the incentive structures. Like like people don't really change that much from being children. like the state is one of those institutions just like any other they will they will push to the limits of whatever they can get away with, and they'll just keep taking more power, taking more control, and telling more and more people what to do to a greater and greater degree until there is essentially pushback and the incentives of the of the nature of government um that it is a monopoly on the right to Um, uh, enact violence against peaceful people uh, with the justification that just because they have the monopoly on violence, they are right by default and you have to defend your case against them. Well, that leads to essentially um, an incredibly high uh, cost to exit. There's a great piece by Nick Zabo that we've read on this show uh, called Exit and Freedom from his uh, unenumerated, from his blog and um it's a wonderful piece just talking about how like incentives and the barrier to exit are such a critical factor in how well one can actually maintain or um uh essentially fight back against um, you know the destruction of liberty and that's one of those things that makes bitcoin such a potent tool um that he actually brings up is that now you can actually take value with you you can exit the jurisdiction without necessarily losing your job. Maybe you work remotely, maybe you have uh, a business or a um, productive environment which is totally in the digital realm, which exists almost completely in cyberspace. Maybe the bulk of your savings, the more that your savings are in Bitcoin, the more that you can easily take with you without without running into some huge hindrance or some fee or some restriction on being able to get back up and running in the new jurisdiction or the new location that you go. So, it is Bitcoin is one of those tools that massively lowers the uh the ability and the cost to exit a totalitarian communist or just disliking like like a uncomfortable jurisdiction or a set of rules. Um and uh, you know like the the incentives of uh a government are such that like compared to the incentives of, you know, like a bad direct TV plan or like cable and internet plan is that the barrier there is that, you know, if they, if they make me wait on hold and I have to call into customer support five times for a problem that's clearly on their side and I can't get help, well, then my barrier is dealing with, uh, you know, having crappy internet for a couple of days or having no internet or having to work off my cellular before I get the new company to come in. And uh you, know, you use a different service. Or if that's not even possible, let's say there's a geographic monopoly in my area, well then you know, I'd have to use a hotspot or something and I could pay for um crazy huge like cellular, and that's possible. You know, that's not even like if you do it by one device, I've actually done that for multiple weeks. It's a pain, but that is not a that is not the barrier to exit of a government system with the monopoly to enact violence against people to violently control what they do what, like is something as ridiculous as um whether or not you have your dog on your leash that's what that uh was alluding to in that article of how China was um essentially getting down to giving people pet owner scores and um travel scores and like politeness scores like all of this utterly insane stuff where they would essentially take your pet until you passed a test and proved to the court that you knew all of the regulations around the pet, that you uh, gave all the proper vaccinations and that you knew when and when they could not be on or off the leash and that they will just steal a member of your family if you, you know, don't know them well enough or misbehave enough times. Certainly something like that would never be abused to, you know, Get someone to sell their land if they didn't want to, or to you know, pay a politician to get someone to push something because somebody wasn't buying the right thing, or making a deal with the right company. Holy shit, the mountain of corruption that would come from such an absurd system is truly hard to comprehend. Um, and but of course, being the The barrier of exit being so high, being that essentially one has to be willing to risk death, to risk incredible physical harm in order to even attempt to stand up against it. Well, then that's exactly why corruption, totalitarianism, why governments essentially all end in a gloriously brutal and violent. Conclusion, there are very few governments that have collapsed that did not pair with genocide and um, unbelievable corruption and just evil in every sense of the word. So there's nothing quite so empowering to the individual as to lower their barrier to exit. And both cyberspace, just in general, the connectivity of the internet and the ability to exchange with other countries and across jurisdictions, the ability for a large portion of your livelihood to exist outside of any geographical area, and the ability to actually take your wealth, maybe your entire life savings with you across the border in your brain, is, is something to not be underestimated. And when you think about how bad the Chinese social credit system could get, um, that quote, Gigi has a really good quote in this article that says, if that doesn't sound dystopian enough for your taste, I bet that it will be in a couple of years. Remind yourself that this is only the beginning, end quote. And that is so true. What they are doing is they are setting the foundations up for the next genocide and the next horrific uh invasions of privacy and confiscations of any sort of liberty or individuality and the chinese government is not really in any better financial situation they are in a horrible spot and obviously this wuhan virus has not made it any the coronavirus or whatever has not made this any easier for them um but when the shit hits the fan when uh like yeah you got to be kidding yourself if you think they're not going to use this against their population when things get hairy for the political hierarchy, when things start to get threatened, when people start to challenge them, or financial um, uh, assurances get weaker, when those cities and parts of the country that we that are actually the rich ones the quote-unquote modern side of China, which is actually a small portion and a couple of specks of China, really, the vast majority of China is incredibly poor. But when the when the comfort of those who are living in the little oasis, uh, the, the, oase, the oases of China, um, when that is threatened, when their stability is threatened and they have to essentially hit the poor harder when they have to add new restrictions, add new taxes, add um, additional confiscations and controls on people, there will be a breaking point. And they will use the social credit system for every horror they can possibly come up with before there is nothing left to take and before they've done so much damage and caused so much harm that the people are willing to die to get out of it. That is a very sad truth, but it is something that history has never really contested. That That's just kind of always the case. If a government can get away with something and it has the power to do something, it will absolutely abuse the shit out of it. And that leads to what the climate of cyberspace is. Um, like, how well can the the controls and the costs the barriers of meat space be re-implemented in cyberspace how well does the great firewall of china work um and uh there's, an, there's actually another interesting quote here i think this one where are you at where are you at yeah okay and this is in the article obviously um bitcoin knows no borders no jurisdictions however it has to conform to the laws of cyberspace and if these laws change, in other words, if large parts of the world block Bitcoin traffic and or the usage of Tor, the Bitcoin organism will have to adapt, end quote. This is another crazy thing about Bitcoin, um, is that, like, I love the way he brought up how, um, like, Bitcoin doesn't exactly live cyberspace or, well, not cyberspace, but the internet itself is really just the best uh, habitat right now. Um, And it could become not the best habitat. But Bitcoin does not necessarily have to live on the internet. There are a lot of ways information can be transmitted, and there could be many alternative networks. But it's very interesting to think about how Bitcoin might adapt, um, how things might have to evolve in order for Bitcoin to stay alive. And that is another of the billion reasons why, as as painful as it is, and as much as I wish this wasn't the case, we have to keep the block size small. We have to keep the bandwidth to to reach consensus, to completely defend the auditability and consensus rules of the Bitcoin mechanism as tightly limited as possible. Because we do not necessarily have the internet to use to keep consensus. We do not necessarily have all of the conveniences and bandwidth and capacity that we we have at this very moment. This must live in an adversarial environment, not a welcoming, comforting environment. And I think something that we're probably going to cover on the show, because so many shitcoins have, have seen some incredible... Uh, consequences, and we have we can learn a lot of lessons from some staking coins and some uh, highly centralized coins that have seen their whole worlds and their foundations of yes, it's quote unquote decentralized shake underneath them. Um, uh, I think they are giving us examples of exactly why these things are so important. We're constantly being reinforced that yep, this is basically the only way. Whatever limitations and whatever uh, hard truths we have to admit, this is it. Um, And we have to figure that out. But as centralized, quote-unquote, as Blockstream's satellite network is, it's amazing to think that we do have, there is a satellite network that can run and continue to propagate the information of the Bitcoin blockchain entirely external to the internet. Um, it is not needed the internet is not needed in order to stay in sync and consensus with the bitcoin blockchain now if all of it ended up being uh, necessary to do over the satellite network you know then we'd suddenly have a problem you know if the, the internet went down there a great wall of great firewall of china went up and started blocking all bitcoin traffic same with the us you know if every country essentially tried to use every amount of influence possible to stop it, um, there would be, luckily, most of it, or most of it, um, a lot of traffic of Bitcoin goes over Tor. Um, And that is another incredibly important thing. And I don't think they'd be able to absolutely ban the use of Tor. This is one of those things where the incentives are so strong because the reason Tor exists is because governments use it governments want that privacy. They will they would literally need to implement an alternative in some way in order to make it make sense for them to actually ban Tor. They cut themselves they, they you know, they cut off their own foot by getting rid of Tor uh in order to stop the internet. I mean, excuse me, in order to stop Bitcoin. So the fact that Bitcoin is uh you know, hat tip to Car camp it for um, Bitcoin is the blockade runner. Um, the fact that Bitcoin is nimble enough that it is uh, high ca- high capacity enough in value and low capacity enough in uh, uh, bandwidth in that it is it is small, it is speedy, it is nimble, it can get through every single crack. The fact that Bitcoin can do that and that it can run very well over Tor. In fact, one of my nodes runs entirely over Tor. has no problem. It is caught up with, the re- with my other node just the same. They are always on the same block. The fact that it does that well um, is, I think, a potent reality to, um, or at least a potent characteristic to how we can know that Bitcoin will be resilient. And I'd be very curious. It's a very interesting thought experiment to think how could Bitcoin run without the major avenues of the internet how could we bridge every jurisdiction how could we get across every single border and through every crack in all of these informational networks um, to keep bitcoin alive in in the face of truly every government as an adversary and I think that's the goal it's not keeping it the most you know powerful computer network in the world I mean obviously all of those things would be great but I think just keeping it alive would, um, would push it to that next stage, which would make it come back from the dead. And uh, e- even if it took one of the hardest hits it's ever taken in its life, um, uh, that all we have to do is keep the heartbeat running. All we have to do is keep the organism alive, and eventually it will come out as the winner in the end. It's a game of survivability. Does it survive? If it does, it wins. It's not a game of who can have the best features, who has the most gadgets. It's a game of who can survive in the face of the greatest challenges. Because we will have challenges. Um now talking about FinSpace, uh <laughs> speaking of FinSpace, um, that is that that was an interesting addition to this because I've always thought of it as a bridge between Meat Space and Cyberspace. And I never really thought about FinSpace as its own part of this puzzle, but truly, like if you really could make an argument that FinSpace really isn't cyberspace. Cyberspace does not really have anything to do with the markets of value in and of itself. Like there is a climate of cyberspace that is totally external to the climate of FinSpace. But what's funny is there is no, there is nothing that has as much. Fuel for the fire of Bitcoin to consume as FinSpace. They just, it is just kindling from like to the horizon. Uh, and that is, that is one of the craziest. The, the climate of FinSpace is, is a perfect storm for Bitcoin in some, in some context, like right now. But obviously the, the, the meets or the FinSpace response as to restrictions and, integrations and being able to move capital back and forth and get into and out of Bitcoin could change drastically in very short order. That is that is a climate that is entirely dependent on the strokes of a bunch of uh, narcissist pins. So that could easily turn against us. But the the underlying climate, the real nature of value and those imbalances don't go anywhere. Those things are still fuel for the fire now they can try to put in fire breaks they can try to you know stamp it out every single place that um you know people try to start it back up essentially to to fight against this thing as it spreads through the economy but the more the the worse they try to control the more capital controls and the more restrictions on value the the better Bitcoin looks just like we did, just like we talked about in yesterday's article with the distrust of Lebanese banks that they tried to resell the freedoms and privileges that they already had in the banking institution that were just stripped from them and dub it fresh money. Like the arrogance of that is unbelievable. But in that situation, they've lost trust completely. Like it's gone. Like nobody's going to get fresh money and think, oh, thank God I got it back it was taken it was sold to them by the very people who took it from them and the greater those restrictions are the greater the volatility of the financial system of finspace of the finspace climate the less bitcoin is any sort of a trade off it's like well i got volatility just awful down just just horrific plummeting chaotic volatility on the one hand, or I've got, like, just Bitcoin's just average volatility mostly goes up. And if, on the left hand, they've got, you know, capital controls. They've got, I can't integrate with any apps. All the shit stopped working. Nothing. You are just, the whole thing is just crumbling apart. Everybody is reaching for every ounce of control, every government and, and, uh, major player in the financial system is reaching for every ounce of control and restriction that they can put on people so that they don't save value, so that they cannot escape the, the to raise that barrier of exit. All the inconveniences and costs of Bitcoin look super easy to deal with in comparison. And I, I truly, I truly hope that it doesn't come to this, that You know, like, there is some sense in these people left. But, you know, when it's their livelihoods versus our livelihoods, what do you think they're going to choose? And Gigi even brings up that in 1934, they confiscated all gold, all gold, from the citizens of their own country during the height of of the Great Depression. How... Insane is that. And the country was a whole lot freer and a whole lot more independent then than it is now. People are way more obedient and subservient than they were then. We've had another 70 years of conditioning. And if they, you know, if they crack down to start confiscating Bitcoin and stuff, I'm, put it as flatly as possible, I'm already making plans to get the fuck out of Dodge. Like, I'm not staying here. They're not getting my Bitcoin. If anything, if I can do anything to prevent that from happening, I'm gonna do it. No way in hell I am letting the same corrupt, arrogant machine that has absolutely destroyed the American economy, that has driven the entire, the entire population into impossible debts and has destroyed an entire money, rip up my life vest and the life vest of my family. The last thing that we've actually got to possibly weather the storm that is clearly on the horizon. Hell no, I am not playing that game. So, thank thy Lord Satoshi for bringing this tool onto us uh to lower the barrier to exit and hopefully put enough pressure um and that's that's another actually thing uh oh oh actually let me let me go ahead and hit that before we close this episode out um there is recommended reading at the end of this 1st he see's got proof of life which is Gigi's other article um and we've done it on the show so I'll I'll be sure to link to that But then The Sovereign Individual by James Dale Davidson and uh, William Reese Mogg. Um, I have listened to that. I'm probably going to listen to it again. Uh, But they actually talk about in that uh, that article, in that very long book, which is brilliant, by the way, um, about how just lowering, excuse me, just lowering the barrier to exit is often enough to restrict their ability to enact draconian laws to actually commit the violence that would necessarily cause people to leave because the easier it is to leave the the faster they feel the effects of incredibly stupid or incredibly aggressive decisions and understand if people with wealth people with the productive capacity people who are the the underlying uh the underlying workers who hold up the economy, the producers that really make the the machine turn, if they leave, if they can leave quickly and easily, and you don't have to be super wealthy anymore, upper upper middle class can usually up and piece out a whole lot easier than they used to be able to. the The sort of the the spread, the unbelievable spread of the coronavirus virus, is massive evidence of this. 40, 50 years ago, you did not have this level of travel globally. Like, And now, in a matter of days, the coronavirus is basically everywhere in the world. I mean, that's scary and it sucks, but it's also a powerful demonstration of how much we are a global economy, we are a global community now, where we were not in the past. So the faster people are able to leave to jump jurisdictions um, and the lower those restrictions are the, the faster the power to actually enact those controls, to actually create that violence uh, the state actually holds because all they have is mercenaries, they have paid soldiers those soldiers will not fight for free most of the people who go into police, military and all of that stuff, they go because of a job They go because good benefits. The state's power to enact violence against its own population is dependent on its purchasing power. It's dependent on the wealth of its economy. The stability um, and the the trust, the believability of their nonsense narratives are entirely dependent on the wealth of the economy. If the wealthy and the truly productive, the ones that are being bled dry right now and uh, still propping up this giant machine start leaving, the purchasing power, the control, and the narrative will break apart very, very quickly. And um, as they uh, propose in The Sovereign Individual, that could actually lead to all of these, what we think of these huge transitions in history that are usually massively violent, that usually take decades and decades to... Play out should happen much, much quicker and uh, should basically escalate um, to a much lesser degree in this day and age because of the movement um, that is available to us. But then again, you know caveat to that. We also have one of the uh, not, not not one of. We have the largest financial imbalance um, and the largest state institutions. That have ever existed. So, hopefully, hopefully, it's still good news. And uh, uh, Davidson and William Rees Mogg's uh, thesis plays out as uh, they explain in that book. Um, but that is a amazing book, and I highly, highly recommend it. I will link to both of those further reading um, that Gigi um, gave in the article. Uh, both of those will be available in the show notes and on the website. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, I'll actually direct. Oh, oh yeah, holidays. We have Bitcoin holidays. Um, today is Gold Parity Day. Um, so uh, I had a hard time trying to name these holidays because there's Gold Parity Day and then there's Gold Market Cap Day or Gold is greater than Bitcoin Day. I'm not not sure exactly. Maybe maybe we can crowdsource the naming of this holiday. But Gold Parity Day was March third, two thousand and seventeen, and one Bitcoin passed the price of one ounce of gold. Um, and that was the first time that happened. I think it crashed back down underneath it for a little while before on its way back up. But it basically passed it and stayed past it um, since then. Uh, but in the not too distant future, I expect to see a new gold parody day where the entire market cap of the Bitcoin system matches the market cap of the entire world's gold supply. Um, and that is going to be a crazy and exciting time. But yeah, that's, that is today. March 3rd is Gold Parity Day. Uh, and I recommend celebrating with a little bit of gold schlager and uh, also your backup ritual. Whatever you do to back up your keys, do it today. That is what Bitcoin holidays are for, is so that we are constantly reminded to keep our Bitcoin safe, to keep our Bitcoin safe from thieves to keep them on our hardware wallet to make sure that we are holding our keys and to make sure our keys will not be lost in the case of disaster. So take a sh- sh- take a shot of gold Schlager and back up your keys. If you would like to check out the entire list of Bitcoin holidays that I have pulled together, you can find that on thecryptoeconomy.com and up at the top bar, it says holidays. It's hard to miss. So check that out. All right, guys, Um, uh, thank you to my patrons. I've had a number of new people added to the crew, um, and it is awesome to have everybody. Thank you, guys, um, for supporting the show. It makes a world of difference, and I I couldn't do this without you. Uh, So I love you all. Thank you so much for listening. This is The Crypto Economy. I am Guy Swan, and until next time, take it easy, everybody.